Well, welcome to Via Space. Actually, it is Rocket Science Podcast. My name is Brian Dale, and this is Sean Bowman. Sean, why don't you why don't you tell us about yourself? What do you do here? Sure, I'm uh, the fluid ther- thermal control engineer here at Via. That's just a fancy way of saying propulsion design. I uh, work on some of the uh, engine's propulsion components and their design and analysis. And speaking of analysis, that's a perfect little. Why don't you tell the people what you do, Brian? Well, yeah, I'm the analysis guy. I run a lot of simulations. I do simulations on everything in the engine, from the turbo pump to the combustion chamber to the exhaust plume. And I'm here to make sure uh, everything runs how we think it should. All of your stuff how we think it should, right? <laughs> That's right, yeah. Double, yeah. Check my, double check my work in a better way. Yep, yep. So we're going to be talking a little bit about, you know, some basic rocket science stuff today, some uh, soiree and <laughs> hybrid rocket engine stuff. So... So let's say, how about you kick it off for us, Sean? Tell us, what is a hybrid rocket engine? Sure. And uh, it's going to sound corny almost, but you've, uh, if you're familiar at all with rockets, just even peripherally, you, you've mm-hmm. probably heard of solids. You, you're familiar with the big uh, solid rocket boosters strapped onto the sides of, of your, uh, your classic uh, launch vehicles. And uh, there's liquid uh, uh, dual propellant or bi-propellant rocket engines where you have two different liquid propellants that they do some fancy stuff with to get some combustion and shoot the stuff out the back. And hybrids are a, a sort of mashup and amalgamation of those two concepts where uh, instead of carrying two liquids uh, on board, we're carrying one liquid, one solid. And the solid thing that we're carrying is our fuel. It's a, a, a plastic fuel, thermoplastic uh, a solid fuel grain in a big cylinder. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And um, and as a liquid, we carry our oxidizer. So it uh, greatly simplifies the, the system of the rocket, uh, much more simple than a liquid two propellant system, a little bit more complex than a solid, but but takes a lot of homage from the uh, the thought process behind how a solid rocket works and, and uh, makes it more versatile and uh, in the ways that we're planning on using ours. You have any commentary to add about your thought process about hybrids and your experience? Well, honestly, I thought, I thought it was an electric rocket. I thought that's what made it hybrid. <laughs> no, no, but um, yeah, no, that, that sums it up very well. I mean, yeah, the whole idea is a solid fuel and a liquid oxidizer, right? Reduce the number of liquids we have on board by half. Only got liquid oxygen on there, nothing else to worry about. That's a huge point is that one of the big things specifically about us, about Via as a company, because you can do a hybrid with multiple fluids, but you know, with ancillary ones here or there, some helium pressurant for your tanks here, some some RCS pressurant fluids there. But for us, we're special in the way that we're only carrying one. We're simplifying the system as simple as it gets, and we're keeping just oxygen on board and using that for all the fancy tricks we need. Yeah. So, um, so that makes the makes the um, you know the intricacy of rockets just a little bit simpler, which I guess is the uh, <laughs> more of what we'll talk about. <laughs> right, right. Speaking of simpler, so we, being a hybrid, have to take on the the physical constraints of a liquid and a solid. So let's talk about how how big is our engine going to be, right? Because we have to we have to keep the whole fuel grain on board in its nice own little area, and we still have to have all the plumbing and hydraulics necessary for the liquid side of it as well, right? So so. Let's talk about that, Sean. What, 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 makes that up? what an excellent point to bring up. You know, maybe it's maybe it's time for a 
for a little surface level observation of, you know, what do these things look like? Like what, what is a hybrid and, and how is it even, uh, what, what are the guts of it kind of look like? So right, right. in the hybrid engine, right, your, your core component, we touched on it a little bit, is your fuel grain, our, our solid fuel, which is you can mm-hmm. think of it almost like a giant cylinder, big cylinder of plastic with a hole in the middle of it. And that thing's going to be long, like really long, rocket booster size long in the in the tens of 20s of 40s of feet, you know, those types of lengths. And um, the other main components of this engine or uh, the motor, if you if you want to be pedantic without our turbo machinery, just the just the the long cylindrical parts of it. We have our injector, the thing that's going to supply the grain with uh, oxygen to provide to um initiate combustion and the nozzle the the part that everyone's probably familiar with the uh the the converging diverging thing at the bottom that points the exhaust in the direction that it's going to go and uh as brian mentioned the hydraulics that connect all of these things together the one difference between a solid and a hybrid of course is that we have to maneuver and and do fun physics with this liquid as you play with it and move it uh move it around and get it into the places it needs to get to as opposed to a solid which is just a glorified firecracker that you just light off and, and let it yeah. so we need to so we need to do a couple more things than that to to get the hybrid uh you know working the, as intended so we have our plumbing and our fluids that interface all these systems together but um we have our liquid oxygen tank we can keep entirely seg- segmented separate away from these boosters so in maybe sort of uh you know in a different fashion we'll be strapping onto the side in the way that you are maybe more familiar with seeing solid rocket boosters strapped onto the side but our 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 solid rocket motors are not solids they're hybrids and our big uh central core structural component of the rocket is oxidizer that's our big tank and our structural member in the middle of the vehicle so then we can pull from that oxidizer tank in the middle of the vehicle uh move it through the uh the motors strapped onto the side in the array that they are and uh that's how our vehicle is going to operate yeah yeah and uh i think something important to note there is the fact that because we're a hybrid our solid fuel isn't actually ignitable so even though we've got all these fuel grains strapped to the side of a big tank of oxygen unless the oxygen's actually there with the fuel which is only when we want it to be it's the only time anything can detonate or combust, right, Sean? That's absolutely correct. Our, as the buzzword that we so famously say is that our fuel is zero TNT equivalency. It is like I've sort of alluded to a handful of times. It's essentially just a giant piece of plastic. It's like a Lego. It's it's a big, Lego. big cylindrical Lego with a hole through the metal. So you could drop it off the side of a truck and not a whole lot would happen. And uh, we control that combustion process very very fine-tuned combustion process with our uh with our you know fluid system that we've designed for the vehicle and uh without that there there would be no making fire right yeah yeah for sure so a big part of our engine sean a big part of our of what we're doing here is that we're we're 3d printing a lot right so so let's talk a little bit about that right i mean there's there's some other companies out there 3d printing stuff doing a lot of exciting things there right but something i think is that really sets us apart is we're 3d printing our fuel grain yes which is that's incredible i mean you can't normally do that with a normal solid rocket right because normally you'd have fuel and oxidizer in there and you got to be very careful you're you can't just start 3d printing dynamite right that's right heat it up you heat it up, I could go bad. That's right. Right, right. So you just so you've made an excellent point, right? That um, 
the process of, of 3D printing is integral to our manufacturing uh, of our technologies. It's true of our engine components all the way throughout. Like I mentioned already, there's some, the critical components of our engine, right? We have our injector, you have the fuel grain, you have the nozzle, you have the turbo machinery. So these components are primarily 3D printed, including the fuel, which is, you know, quite staunchly different from the way that even solids are traditionally made by casting. Like Brian mentioned, it would be very difficult to print these combustible reactive solid components where you don't want to get them hot and, and risk, you know, these uh, deflagration things blowing up in your face, you know, while you're trying to print yeah, yeah, yeah. explosive materials. But our material that we use for fuel is non-reactive, non-explosive until we want it to be, like Brian said. So that's um, that's a huge thing that's just unlocking a lot of capability for uh, for us and our technology is this 3D printing and the way that we manufacture all of our engine components all the way down to the the uh, the highly precision metal components being printed as well out of out of uh, you know these these new uh, alloyed materials that are that are aerospace grade. I don't know how to uh, you know dance around this. I, <laughs> some some right, right. Yeah, <laughs> you know the exact formula right for all of our all of our competitors out there. No, yeah, of course, but I mean. You know, what, what comes down to that material selection, though, right? Because a lot of our engine is 3D printed on not just the fuel grain, our injector, the nozzle, you know, a lot of the more intricate parts, because that allows us this this level of uh, intricacy, right, in, in our design that we wouldn't be able to otherwise do, right? So, so yes. I guess a lot goes into the material selection there, right, in terms of uh, strength, and thermal conductivity. It's just this this, you know, big, uh, it's almost like a big palette of colors we get to play around with, right? <laughs> Beautifully said. <laughs> Pick the right ones for the situations. And that's, that's incredible that us engineers nowadays can do that, that we can have all of those options and pick exactly what works for the situation. It feels, uh, I, I feel a uh, pity for the engineers of the past. It's uh, yeah. speaking as speaking as a, a totally unbiased person here, of course, it has yeah, right. to do with the fact that I, uh, have a have an integral hand in the in the design of our nozzle, but I think it's just very fascinating that the the capabilities of manufacturing that we have now, where we can in a one single monolithic component without any uh, you know any of the really labor intensive manual labor of like putting together these old uh, nozzles that had to be welded by hand and all these things that we can essentially have a machine have create one cohesive monolithic part that is just um you know custom designed and and analyzed to to uh ensure that it works the way that it will and and maximize all these performance metrics and everything it's just a it's like an engineer's playground it's like right. it's like we live every day in willy wonka's metal factory like we're yeah. just, <laughs> we're like <laughs> Great way to put it. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I mean, I remember back in college, I did this project once on uh, on injector plates that NASA did for the the Saturn V for the Moon mission, and right. I believe they had to make and then blow up over like fourteen hundred different injectors because they had no idea what they were doing. Yep. they were just poking holes in metal and then shooting flames through it and hope it didn't blow up. That's, that's and, and this one didn't, so make more that's kind of like that one. Right, right. That's how they figured it out. It was just insane trial and error. But now, now we got people like me to simulate. Exactly. Something <laughs> that, that a lot of people 
don't quite understand that that's a little bit difficult to grasp is what is the difference between a first and second stage engine? Why is there even a difference? Why does there need to be a change partway up in your launch that, that requires completely different engines? And it's such an excellent question. And you, you know, as the people that work on it all the time, we take for granted understanding these sort of things mm -hmm. like that, that aren't maybe common knowledge, but one of the um one of the fundamental differences and you know not to go not to not to make anyone fall asleep listening to to the <laughs> yeah. like to the explanation of what it is right when you when you want to go up you want to throw stuff out the back as fast as possible that's the yeah, whole yeah. that's the 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 most basic breakdown of why rockets are rockets you just want to take stuff and throw it at the back as fast as you possibly can one of the important things to consider when you're doing that is what kind of pressure is being exerted on the stuff you're throwing out by the ambient environment? So when you're down at sea level, when you're at Cape Canaveral sitting on the beach, having a margarita, watching the, watching the rocket launch from uh -huh. you know, a couple hundred yards away, the best site in the world, you should go do right. it. Yeah. Um, you may notice that the, the jet, the plume that comes out the back of that nozzle seems to be uh, you know, almost like comes out parallel in, in a sense to the to the end of that nozzle bell on the bottom and that's very much on purpose because if you watch for long enough once that rocket gets high enough you'll start to notice that that plume goes out and around and away from where the nozzle bell actually is and that's very well understood phenomenon that's because as you go higher up in the atmosphere the ambient pressure pushing in on the plume actually gets lighter because you're going towards space you're running out of air and pushing your plume so once you get high enough your nozzle, your, your engine itself has lost so much efficiency in, in what it could theoretically be designed to do that it makes more sense to just ditch that whole first part and just have a whole second nozzle that's designed to work better when there's less ambient pressure around. So right, most right. rocket concepts will be two-stage, some are three-stage. It just depends on how, how high, where you're going, what your, what your mission is. And right, that, right. Because instead of throwing stuff down, you'd essentially be throwing stuff sideways. And you're wasting all that energy. expanding, right? And that's an absolute waste of fuel, yeah. So on the second stage, we would have perhaps a wider nozzle, right? Something a bit bigger to further expand out that exhaust <laughs> so that we can shoot it out straight, right? And he sounds like a uh, Brian in perfect fashion. Sounds almost like an, uh, a, a professor at an undergraduate school getting the getting some freshmen excited about what you know. Why are the reasons things are the way they are? It's brilliant. It's perfect because that's perfectly in line with the natural reasoning, right? So we and when you're up in space, there's nothing to push against, right? So you want to make sure that your nozzle is nice and big. Watch watch a live stream and and look at the the footage of of a bell as you as you're up in orbit in the second stage camera. And you might notice if you pay attention that that nozzle is much bigger than the ones that are uh, equivalently than the ones that are on the ground. And that's very much on purpose. Those are, those are well understood and ca ca uh, categorized phenomena that uh, yeah. goes into the intentional design of why those are the way they are. Yeah, yeah. At Kennedy Space Center, there's uh, in the space shuttle exhibit, I remember there's a video that is a space shuttle up pretty high. And if you watch close, it's it's right before stage separation. And you can see the plume is huge. That's right. It's So it's really high up in the atmosphere. There's less air. And that exhaust coming out is just ginormous, which looks really cool. But someone like us, we're going, ah, that's a loss <laughs> can, of efficiency. All you can see is the loss of efficiency when you yep. know that it works in reality. 
Yep, and and right. we could delve even, and this is maybe a fun little like like a like a tidbit, a teaser for for the the more curious among you is what what do you do? It seems almost wasteful in a way to throw away all that extra to to do it in stages, right? To have only one and have it work only good at the ground, and then by the time you get up to almost in orbit, it's it's a, a poorly designed nozzle at that point, which seems wasteful. It's, oh, how would we maybe get around this problem? Well, many people have put many, many hours of thought into, hey, how about, how do we make a nozzle that works all the time? And, and those are, you know, it, it's like a fun, uh, like a, like a science experiment, thought experiment to think of what kind of ways would you make a nozzle that just works all the time? You know, single and, uh, stage to orbit, it's called, right? There, that's, there you that's go. The buzzword there, give yeah. them a buzz, give them something to Google. Yeah. SSTO, single stage to orbit. You'll find the word aerospike listed pretty commonly when you search that up. Yep. yep. And um, figure that one out. You got millions of dollars coming your way. The concept's quite similar to, uh, to uh, you have jet engines, right? So, like fighter jets, precision fighter jets have variable aperture exhaust ports where, like, they have, if you ever right. go and you see, like, the, the, uh, the ability for those like F-16s or whatever to have their uh, exhaust area, like the jet area, be like expanded and contracted. They can change the area of that plume. And that's, uh, you know, again, an intentional design choice by those by those engineers to allow it to perform at maximum capacity at different altitudes of flight. So it, very similar in theory to what we would love to achieve with our technology, but we have, you know, different physics constraints when it comes to the most extreme combustion that humans have ever created when it comes to rocket engines so yeah yeah it's a great way to put it sean yeah <laughs> well all right uh thank you everybody for joining us here on the via space podcast be sure to go like subscribe and follow us on all platforms at via space and if you have any questions you would like to see answered here on our podcast, feel free to send them in at media at viaspace.com. Thank you all for joining us.